Hello, and welcome to the Emerge Woman Magazine podcast, where we are real, relevant, and relatable for today's woman. We feature trailblazing women making a difference in our communities and world. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Emerge Enterprise Media, LLC, and you can find our podcast show on several platforms, including Anchor, Apple, Podbean, CastBox, Google, and more. For today's episode, listeners, I have the distinct honor and pleasure of interviewing and getting to know Marlene Shields, who is running for political office to become the first black judge and second Spanish-speaking judge in the Lehigh County Court of Common Pleas in Pennsylvania. I'm going to share some details about Marilene, but I'd like to first welcome her to the show. Welcome, Marilene. We are so delighted to have you. Thank you, Kiana, for having me. I, I'm so excited to do this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk to people generally because it's COVID times, but I'm really happy to talk to you. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Just some background on Marlene. She was born and raised in North Braddock, Pennsylvania. After her father's sudden death, when she was in fourth grade, she and her sister were raised by her single mother, Doris. She attended Woodland Hills High School, a school which was created as a result of the 1981 court-ordered desegregation merger. She discovered her interest in the law by participating in high school mock trial competitions. She's a graduate of Kenyon College in Ohio, where she was a double major in political science and philosophy with a law and society concentration. Because of her hard work, both in the classroom and on campus, where she held several campus jobs, Marlene emerged from college without any student loan debt. She was awarded a three-year full tuition scholarship, and in 2003, she received her law degree with the highest honors from the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. She began her career in commercial litigation and mass tort defense work in Philadelphia. In 2006, she and her husband, Kevin, chose to make the Lehigh Valley their home. In 2014, Marlene joined the Lehigh Valley-based Fitzpatrick, Lentz, and Booba firm, becoming a member of both healthcare, the healthcare, as well as the litigation and trial practice groups. In 2017, she became the first person of color to become a shareholder at Fitzpatrick, Lentz, and Booba. She joins her colleagues in many volunteer efforts, serves on several boards, and has won various awards for her legal expertise, leadership, community service, and influence. Some of those awards include PBA President's Award in 2018, the Lynette Norton Award, PA Rising Stars, Lehigh Valley Business Journal's 40 Under 40, Lehigh Valley Magazine's Legal Leader, and most recently, Lehigh Valley Business, Women of Influence, among many more. Over the last 14 years, Marlene has developed deep connections to the Lehigh Valley. She was a member of the Board of Trustees of the Hillside School, a member of the Board of Directors of the Lehigh Valley Children's Centers, president of the Parents Association of Citronia, elementary school, and a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Council of the Lehigh Valley Interregional Networking and Connecting, known as LINK. As a candidate for judge in the Court of Common Pleas, she runs on stellar and solid principles, among many, of critical thinking, temperament, 
lack of bias, and communication. Again, I'd like to welcome you to the Emerge Woman Magazine podcast, Marlene. Thank you. I like hearing all that stuff. It feels good. (laughs) That's so funny. I love hearing that from our guests because most of them are like, wow, it's so different when you hear, you know, your bio read um, and all the things that It it never gets old, and I always think I'd love to meet <laughs> because I'm just I'm just doing what I do, uh, and I don't I don't ever you don't you don't stand back and assess or or list everything out. And um, no, it's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And that's exactly how rising and shining stars usually do it. <laughs> so. Um, just to get right into, you know, some learning some more things about you. Um, obviously, that was just a portion of the many things that you've done in the community and, and your accomplishments. But like me, you are not a native of the Lehigh Valley. So can you talk about what it was like transitioning into the Lehigh Valley? Sure. I I came to the Lehigh Valley, and I, I met my husband, who's, full disclosure, he's from the Lehigh Valley in law school. And we graduated in 2003. He went off to clerk in Northampton County. I immediately went to Philadelphia. Um, you know, we, we, we knew we wanted to be together, but he, he needed to do that. And I, I needed to see um, whether I could, could handle a broad-based Philadelphia practice. I wanted to do that. I wanted to experience that, that life. But in 2006, we wanted, we were beginning to think about getting married, think about where we wanted to raise a family. We knew Philadelphia wasn't where we wanted to be. And the idea of straddling between the Lehigh Valley and Philadelphia just made no sense to us. Mm -hmm. So I I relocated. I decided, you know, we're going to relocate. We're going to build our our home here in South Whitehall Township where we've lived for 15 years now. And it, it was challenging for, for a few reasons. One is Lehigh Valley is a community of a lot of people who have been here for many, many generations. Everyone knows everyone. Um, relationships in, have been set. Um, the, the other difficulty was I was, I was working full-time. I had a, a very busy medical malpractice defense practice that sent me to many counties, not just Lehigh County. I was going as far north as Pike and Lackawanna County, out to, to Berks County and Redding. I was all over the place. And, you know, when you've got a community that's fairly closed and you've got a person who's just here, there, and everywhere, it's, it's difficult mm-hmm. to get to know people. It's difficult to um, develop roots. Eventually, I was able to do that, but it was a concerted effort of joining boards like the Hillside School Board and then getting to know the community through through service, and, and that's, that's how I eventually got there. But, you know, 15 years down the road, people still think of me as, as an outsider a bit in this community, but, but I, still, I still show up at all the meetings, so it's, it's okay. <laughs> Good for you. And, you know, it seems you just have a natural way of connecting with people. Was it always like that, or were there techniques that you learned in law school, you know, in that style of communication to, you know, put people at ease and, and help them easily connect with you? I, I, 
I, there's nothing, I, I'll tell you, law school does very little to teach you about being a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I, 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 people think that's very strange when I say it, but it, 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 it just doesn't. I think I connect well with people because I, I grew up in a, you know, blue, blue collar working class family. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of union workers. My my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, worked as a domestic. She she grew up on a farm. We have steel workers, union workers. So I, I'm well versed in being able to communicate with people. But you know, eventually, that's my family. So of course, I can communicate with my family. But eventually, I went to you know Kenyon College, which had a lot of people that had very different life experiences than I had. They they were going to boarding schools and, and you know going to schools boarding schools that cost as much as Kenyon for years before they got to Kenyon and had cars and you you learn to adapt to where you are and so I, I, yes I, I I can talk to all sorts of people because I I've, I've been around all sorts of people and I think at the end of the day you have to figure out a way to meet people where they are. So yeah, I, I think that helps when you're trying to, to move into a new community and become part of it. The, the idea that you're still your authentic self, but, you know, I don't need to bring all the, the words that maybe I learned in law school to the neighborhood picnic. Right. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, before okay. I eat my hot dog, let me go get a thesaurus in a dictionary and look that up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but wonderful. if I'm in a, a courtroom I, and I'm speaking to a judge, I, I've got to be able to communicate there as well. So it's, it's, it's the right tool for, for the right job, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for our, our listeners and audience who may not fully understand or know, because obviously we have people listening from um, nas- nationwide, but also from various backgrounds and in, in professional expertise, but for those who may not understand or know the full realm of responsibilities of a judge in the Court of Common Pleas, can you just give us a brief synopsis or explanation of what that means? Sure. Lehigh Court of Common Pleas is our trial court level. There is one court below it called the Magisterial District uh, Court. And those courts see kind of the small cases where the value is under $12,000, landlord-tenant, um, you know, minor offenses. Court of Common Pleas, it's divided into three divisions. So we have the criminal division, uh, in that court, they are, they're hearing, as you could imagine, criminal cases mm-hmm. and juvenile delinquency cases, which are just criminal cases involving kids, right? Um, <laughs> then we have the civil division slash family division. Family division, you know, marriages, divorces, custody agreements. Uh, civil division handles personal injury matters, mass tort, um, malpractice cases breach of contract cases, things of that nature. And then there's a third division called Orphan's Court, and that's where um, you can see some of your dependency issues, um, you know, children that are 
perhaps in the foster care system, uh, matters of, of that nature. So there's three different divisions. And about, you know, when you compare civil and criminal, about 4,000 cases, um, new cases in each, uh, each year. If you look at 2019 wow. numbers, I don't have 2020 numbers, but new cases. Um, but that, that's, that's the general outline of what the courts do. And what the president judge does is assign judges to various divisions. So some are assigned to criminals, some are assigned to orphans court, and some are assigned to the civil division. And that can change depending on the needs of the court at any given time. So right now we are actually in um, a backlog because of COVID, about a two-year backlog of civil and criminal cases in our courts. Wow, that is so interesting. So you would be quite busy moving in. (laughs) And so why is the composition um, and diversity of our judiciary so important? Our courts were created, and I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Lehigh County was Mm -hmm. not always its own county. It was actually part of Northampton County for for many, many years. In fact, Northampton County used to extend from um, New Jersey all the way out into Reading, and then little by little it kind of was broken off. But Lehigh County was founded in 1812, so 208-plus years at this point. And never in the history of Lehigh County's court have they ever had a black or African-American judge. Wait Wait a minute. Okay. Can I just pause there for one second? (laughs) 28 years or 208 years? 208. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Only two years ago, um, 2019, did... Uh, Lehigh County elect its first Latinx Spanish-speaking judge. And this is in a county where quite a number of people here speak Spanish. Over 20% easily speak Spanish here. But if you look at those that are participating in our courts, those that are appearing with slip-and-fall cases, divorces, custody disputes, criminal matters. They're not just white. They're black and brown as well. <laughs> and I, I think that it's hard to convince people that the system is fair and just if they can't see themselves reflected in the system. So point. Uh, that's why I think the composition matters. Now, am I suggesting that um, Judge Morphy Marks, who's the, the Latinx woman that I was speaking about, should have been elected strictly because she's Latinx and she speaks Spanish, or that I should be elected strictly because I'm black and I, I also speak Spanish? Absolutely not. Um, you know, you absolutely need to have uh, the skills, the temperament, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, to do the job, and I always leave with that foot. But we we do need to think about what um, our 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 courts look like in terms of representation. No one would blink an eye if if I said, you know, we should have women as judges as well. Everyone would 
Agree. We should have men and women as judges. Absolutely. And this is this is no different. This is no different. We we should have people of color um, also in in our courts. Absolutely. It's it's critical. It's critical. Um, thank you so much for sharing that great background information. And so, with all of this, being a busy attorney, a shareholder at a well-respected, successful firm. You have family life. You're a mom. All of these things. Now the campaign. How do you keep all of this together and maintain your sanity, Marlene? <laughs> um, some would say I'm not all that sane. Uh, those that are closest <laughs> to the campaign would would probably challenge just the premise of that question. But I don't. I haven't changed a lot about what I do on a daily basis. So I, I know I've talked to you, Kiana, about the fact that I, I work out a lot. So I, I work out yes. every day and have worked out every every day since January 1st, 2018. It was a, a thing. I've, I've worked out for many, many years, but I've made a concerted effort to make it a daily part of my routine on January 1st, 2018. And that means that every morning um, – usually around 5 a.m. On weekends, I go a little later. I just go to my basement, <laughs> I, I, and I do something for at least a half an hour, uh-huh. maybe an hour. And that, that helps me level set so that you know, when people get busy, they tend to let things like that drop off, like working out or yes. if they go to therapy, going to therapy, or if they get massages, they tend to let those things drop off first. And I tend to go in the other direction. I cling. <laughs> I, I cling <laughs> to those things because I know those are the things that help me function. And, uh, yes, I'm busy, and I have a lot going on, but if I don't do this thing, it's going to be harder for me to accomplish all the other things. And people think, well, but you could have that half an hour or an hour to do something else. We can fit everything else in, but if I can't make time for myself, for the things that matter to me, and for what matters to me a lot right now is working out, and I, had, I need to have time to study Spanish every day, then the rest will fall apart. Um, the one thing that has changed, and I'm okay with this, is my husband has taken on a lot more responsibilities at home. So he's doing more of our cooking than he typically would do. Um, he's he's doing more laundry than he typically would just <laughs> so that I can be available for calls, Zoom meetings, to be out collecting signatures for petitions. He, that's the deal that we made in our, our household that he would, he would pick up on that front and I would go and lean in, so to speak, to do this. But that's how it works. It, having a true teammate as a, as a spouse <laughs> helps, but also just <laughs> staying faithful to the things that I know help me function, <laughs> like working out and, you know, spending time on Spanish. You know. That's so awesome. And as, you know, I, I think that's such a critical point that um, amongst high-achieving successful women and, and just in general, those who have a lot on their plate. And by success, uh, listeners, I, how you define success, you know, in your personal trajectory and journey um, is important. But 
the fact that you prioritize self-care because I think sometimes we can give ourselves excuses and let ourselves off the hook to not do that. And if you don't mind, you know, answering what in 2018, like, you know, caused you to really knuckle in on that commitment to yourself to make sure you were doing those more of those things. I know you have an athletic background and running track and all of those things, but was there a turn in 2018 or? I, I think like many people just, watching what was going on around us, watching just feeling divisiveness in the world Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. reading news and just being upset a lot and thinking, Mm -hmm. well, I don't want to spend my life upset. Uh, And just saying, you know, the the level of working out that I was doing wasn't quite enough. I needed and I was still finding myself upset and I said, oh, we're going to need to spend more time. I, and I also just cut some things out. Um, I, I used to be a little bit more of a every political podcast junkie, and I had to just <laughs> stop. <laughs> it, it, it's made my life better. <laughs> and so I, I pumped up my working out. I, I tampered down on things that just weren't, weren't serving me. Does that make any sense? That's wise. That's wisdom right there. And to have a supportive partner, be teammates, you know, that's that's even, you know, I mean, that's just like the icing on the cake. So hats off to you and your family. It's it's just a wonderful thing to have that. So um, it makes total sense. I feel the same way. And so you've inspired me to invest in another pair of sneakers. I'm watching your journey here. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's get it going, Yes, Kiana. you can follow my streak journey. I have to post. I, 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 that's the one thing I'm not as good at as I used to be. With, I, I do post the date, what streak day I'm on. I think today was 1166. 1166 uh-huh. or 1167. But I post it, and part of that's just accountability, right? If someone yes. wants to know, is is this still happening? Yes, it's still happening. I may I may forget to post, but I did not forget to work out. <laughs> I may have, I may have been too busy to post, but I wasn't too busy to work out. You know, first things first. The most important thing is to do the work, um, and then you can show the work. And sometimes I'll I'll do five days in a row. Like just in case you thought I stopped, nope. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still going. Still here. That's great. <laughs> That's great. And one of the things I really admire about um, the principles in your campaign is campaign is how committed you are to communication. And we all know communication matters and it's, it's key. It's cornerstone in, in, in our lives, period, professional, personal, a campaign. You stated that communication is a pillar of your campaign and central to our legal system. Can you just expound on this uh, ideology a little bit and how your campaign seeks to embrace that? Sure. When from the very first moment someone or shows up at my door seeking legal assistance, the emphasis on communication is important in that very moment. Do I understand the potential client's issue? Um, can I then go back and figure out whether their issue is actually actionable under the law in Pennsylvania? And can I communicate 
the nature and extent to which it is or is not an actual actionable cause of action in Pennsylvania. So that's one. Can can I receive information from someone, figure out, analyze whether it's a real problem that I can do something to help them with, and then communicating that back to them. And then figuring out whether it's a good fit to work together. And if you take on that client, then you've got to communicate that problem to someone else, right? Their employer. Absolutely. Um, and you need to clearly communicate what the issue is to, to potentially negotiate an outcome. And if that doesn't work, you need to then communicate with the court what the issue mm-hmm. is. And if it gets to a trial, you're communicating with a jury and trying to convince them that you should win. Every step along the way, it's, it's that give and take of mm-hmm. being heard and understood and hearing and understanding another person. And I, I truly believe that most times when, when the relationship breaks down between a client and an attorney, it's because there's not been great communication. Someone's not being, someone's not hearing or understanding, and, and there's been a breakdown mm-hmm. there. And most disputes are communication breakdowns, right? I mean, Absolutely. how many breach of contract cases are because we didn't really have a meeting of the minds on what was going to happen if this contingency occurred. So that's how I understand my work, is to be a communicator. And... When I think of our court, I think about the fact that we need to communicate with all sorts of people. Not everyone that I communicate with will have even graduated high school, let alone gone to college or or law school. But it is my job to be able to communicate with that person just as well as I would communicate with someone with the same education level as I have. I, I, I carry that to, to language as well. Mm-hmm. We have lots of Spanish-speaking people here. It is my job to be able to communicate with someone that maybe speaks a different language, and whether you're using an interpreter or you're doing what I'm doing, which is trying to cut out the middleman, being able to communicate effectively with someone that's different cultural background, different racial background, different religion, different political ideology, that's... That's what I have to do every single day, and that's what, the jo- that's what our courts must do, in, in my opinion. Our courts are supposed to be open to all. That means if you've got uh, uh, someone in front of the courts that's autistic, understanding what adjustments perhaps need to be made to communicate with that individual. Uh, so that's why I talk about communication a lot. It's why when we launched this campaign, I said, Whatever the cost, we're going to figure out a way to communicate our core messages in English, Spanish, and Arabic because I recognize that we are in a community where lots of people speak Arabic. Well, Mm. if I want to communicate with someone who speaks Arabic, it's not enough for me to say, come over here and and read my message in English. If I really want Mm. you to hear what I have to say, I should be willing to move to where you are and communicate with you. Uh, you know, someone may have a, a visual impairment. Well, why can't we make our website, you know, one that can be accessed by someone with visual impairment? It's, to me, it's as simple as 
I want my message to get as far and wide as possible. So there's a self-interest, but it's also just a matter of respect for where other people are coming from and that, you know, it's different from where I'm coming from, but that doesn't mean that I can't go over there and talk to you over there. Absolutely. And talk about inclusion and belonging. That is truly demonstrating the values that you speak about, and that's what I love. It's not just principles on a, on a website. We see the tangible actions of you, you know, including groups and uh, showing that you really do stand by the pillar of communication, lack of bias, and all the other solid principles that, you know, your campaign and that you stand on and, and your values. So that's really amazing. I sat in a deposition yesterday, um, and, and an attorney kept using the word imbibe to someone who very clearly did not understand the word imbibe. And I thought, now you, you are smart enough to know that you could say drink <laughs> instead of imbibe. Oh, Mike, I was about to pull up the dictionary myself. <laughs> right? But, but time and time again, this, this particular attorney kept saying imbibe. And the, the witness, I don't really understand what you're saying. I, I just thought, in that moment, are, what, what's your goal? Is your goal to find out whether they recognize someone else was drinking? Or do you just want to prove that you know a word that that person doesn't know? And, but that's like, <laughs> it was just a small, it's a micro example of the ways in which in that moment I could see he, he wasn't interested in meeting that person where he was. He was interested in proving he was smarter. <laughs> Sometimes that's not, yeah. it's often not the goal to prove that you're smarter, or that you know more. Sometimes it's just exactly. to Sometimes it's just to get information. Great you don't example. use the word five is what you're saying. <laughs> Neither do I. No one uses that word in, in their day in and day out life. I, I'm convinced. <laughs> and I'm convinced with you. So thank you so much for sharing that. And so as a regarding your work as a leader in the community and, and being a devoted family woman, successful attorney, what are you most proud of at this time, Marilyn? I, I'm very proud of my family right now. They, um, they have really just been able to get through <laughs> this time and adjust <laughs> yes. in ways that I, I've, I've just marveled. So my, my son is 10. My son Cole is 10. And he went from, you know, five days in, day, uh, in school to at home with mom to um, – having only two days in school and, and, you know, we just learned, knock on wood, he will get to go back four days uh, in April. But he's just adjusted and he's he's been able to just get through this. He understands um, and he doesn't like any of the stuff that we're going through in terms of masking and not being able to see family, but he's really taken to it. He's the first to tell my daughter to put her mask on or to wash her hands when, when we get home. He's become, uh, you know, our, 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 our third parent in the house. Um, he's kicked up his cooking, um, which is great. If you can teach your kid to cook and then they take to it as, as a kid, it, it really works out for you. He makes breakfast for us 
quite a bit in the house. So I've, I've been really pleased with, with him. And I'm not saying there won't be any adjustment as he goes into next school year, but he's, he's just been able to handle the pandemic really very well. Um, my daughter, uh, who also uh, speaks Spanish, we put her in a Spanish immersion school about two years ago, nearly to the day. And she just, she took to it. She was just open to it in a way that I didn't necessarily expect her to be. And she's, she's just embraced the, the teachers, you know, just, just try to imagine as an adult having someone say, you know what, tomorrow, every day for about, you know, eight, nine hours of your day, no one's going to speak to you in English. Yes, we understand you understand English, <laughs> but we would like you to do this wow. other thing now. Do you mind? And, and for the most part, she hasn't minded. And, and it's, mm. it's really opened her up in a way, and, and that she was open to that and able to adjust has, has been really wonderful. And, you know, obviously my husband, I always sing his praises because, um, you have to appreciate when someone just steps up. So when I was looking at you know, what the school year was going to look like when the schools mm-hmm. weren't sure if they were going to be completely hybrid or remote, I was talking myself into all the things, all the adjustments I was going to need to make in my life as a shareholder at FLMB. Mm-hmm. And well, will I need to be part-time? Will I need to do this? Will I need to do that? And my husband kind of looked at me and said, Cole will come with me <laughs> to my office three days a week. He'll sit in that office. He'll do remote That's school. Awesome. And it's funny, for as much as a, a, a feminist as I believe I am, as much, you know, that I'm, I'm able to do as much as I quickly moved into well, I need to be the one that stays home, and I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> I, I, I moved into that mode without even thinking about it. And he said, wow. no one has to do this. We, we can make this work. <laughs> wow. And, and we, have made, made, uh, we have been making it work. Um, but I don't know that everyone has, has a spouse that's so willing to say, no, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just do this thing differently. And you you keep doing what you're doing. You know, he met me in law school, so he met me knowing that I wanted to do this. And he's never asked me to do anything else, which is wow, which is great. That's awesome. So amazing. I see why you're so proud of your family. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And so I like that's them. just that's beautiful. <laughs> And I'm not just saying that. To have that true knit support system, especially in a time of so much change, it's it's been stressful on everybody, families, you know, professional relationships, everything. So that's that's what helps us to stick together and keep moving forward, you know, that support system and being open and, and agile, even like children. So that's amazing. It really is. And so if our listeners were to say, as we close things up, Marilyn, if our listeners were to ask or say, why, Marilyn, why vote for you, what would your answer be? Because I'm the most qualified to do this job. 
<laughs> and the composition of well, our that's good. I, 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 and I say that, and I, I just laughed as I said it, but I do believe it. I'm just not someone that tends to, to do that, right? As, particularly as women, we don't go out and say, we're the most qualified. We, we just don't. You know, you kind of you shrink at that and you say, well, that we feels do. rude. Well, we, and, and, but no, I have really great um, civil litigation experience. I have experience working in really large firms in Philadelphia, um, top, top flight firms. I have tried cases from beginning to end. I understand the legal system. And, and it's not just what I've done. I'm also open to learning. And mm, I, I think what makes me good at what I do is that I'm never going to tell you I've, I've got it all and that I've mm-hmm. figured it all out. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that need to constantly do more, be better every day. It's, that's the thing that underlies the working out every day. It's the thing that causes me to want to learn a second language in my 40s. It, that, that constant desire to do more, be better, I think is something that would be really good to have on a bench. Someone that doesn't feel like they've figured it all out and they've heard everything. Because if you think you've got it all and you, you know everything, you're less likely to listen to the next plaintiff that comes into the courtroom because you think you've got it all figured out. You want someone that's got enough skills to understand the lay of the land, but is still a, a learner and wants to grow and be better and do more every single day. And that's, that is who and how I am. So there's what I've done, but there's also the who I am. And, you know, it's not just something I'm saying. It's the life that I've been living for many, many years, that, that constant yeah. need to push and be better and, and push people around me and say, this, this is good what we're doing, but good's not good enough. We can do better. And I, I, mm. I think we should always be kind of pushing and looking for people in these sorts of leadership positions who aren't just going to rest on their laurels or, or just be satisfied with the status quo. We need people that are going to think about how, how do we do a better job delivering legal services? Can we be more inclusive? Can we, um, can we create a judicial system that reflects our community, not just as it was, but as it is now and as it's evolving? And, you know, I think I, I have that. I, I, I certainly, um, it's, it's no disrespect to anyone else that's running, but those are the things that i bring to the table, and I haven't heard a lot of people talking about that thus far. Excellent. Wow. And, and, and so relatable to the community and individuals at all levels, you know, who are learning more about the judiciary process and what pieces and factors are so important and so critical. So this, this has been great. Thank you so much, uh, Marlene, for your time and joining us. And I'd like to ask also, how can our listeners reach or contact you to learn more about your campaign, your work in the community, how they can support, how they can, once again, learn more, and if you have any upcoming events. 
Absolutely. We have uh, a website uh, created by my wonderful sister-in-law, Ashley. It's uh, shields4lcjudge.com. We are also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because you have to be on all the platforms. And we we do have (laughs) some events coming up. To, to look for. We are constantly updating our website, but I can give you a sneak peek that we're actually going to be partnering with one of the restaurants around here, Notch, to do a, a cooking demonstration uh, event um, for people because I like food and I like Notch in particular. <laughs> and I love their food and they were so gracious to allow us to do a, a cooking demonstration, so an opportunity to get to meet me, but also learn how to make something really great at home. Um, so that's going to be coming up in March, at the end of March, March 31st, so look for that. And we will Perfect. have um, a Philadelphia-centered, I, since I started my career in Philadelphia, we're actually going to get together with a lot of Philadelphia-based um, professionals, professional women for a networking event. I, one of the things you'll, you'll learn about me is that no event is ever just about me. It's usually about <laughs> getting to know me, but also giving uh, people an opportunity to get to know each other and network and, and make some connections to support each other moving forward. And we're also going to have, um, because I run, and I like running, We're, we will be right. kicking off a, a 5K, a virtual 5K, um, kind of as our, our run to the primary. So that, that will be coming, and we'll probably have that 5K scheduled since our primary date is May 18th. I expect that we'll have our, our 5K um, in, in early May, late April, but the idea being that if you've never run a 5K or if you've run a bunch of them, you can train, you'll have plenty of time to train for it to, to do a, a 5K with us. How cool so we have is a few that? Things coming up. You, so wow. Are you do a 5K? <laughs> I would love to, but I'll be over here in Tampa. So a virtual 5K, is that what it's going to be? Or you're actually, it will be virtual. <laughs> well, wow, I'm going to actually yes. run it, but I'll be here. You'll, you can be there and run the 5K. Count me in. <laughs> yes. I will register for sure. I've never done a 5K, and what a great time to start. <laughs> and then we'll be guided by the pro because track is a part of your background and running, so, so you'll be able to help all of us newbies. <laughs> I, we're, we're, it's right. We will, we will be uh, announcing it shortly, but I, I think we'll probably get a Shield for Judge tech tee in there too as part of our, our, our 5K run. <laughs> But we'll we'll awesome. figure it out because that's that's the best part of a five k. You never want to you. The medal's great, and those are also fun to get. But you always want to get a, at least a t shirt out of a run. So I love it. Awesome, awesome. So thank you so much again, Marilyn. And I'd like to remind our listeners that you can connect with Marilyn by going to her website at shieldsforlcjudge.com. Once again, shieldsforlcjudge.com. And thank you again for joining and listening into the Emerge Woman Magazine podcast. We encourage you to continue rising to your highest potential. Thank you again. You're welcome. <laughs>